Yeah, I, I'm Jackson. I have zero experience with carpentry. I studied at a school for historic preservation in Boston and learned about how things were built you know, 250 years ago. There's a long way to go. I'm nowhere near the top. Not that I thought I was, but there's so much more to do out there. Welcome back to the Passion for Craft podcast. Uh, we are really excited to have Lydia Crowder here zooming in with us today. Um, Lydia, I'm going to give you a small intro, then I'd love you to fill in the blanks. But Lydia is a drywall expert, also known as Drywall Shorty, on uh, all the social media platforms. And she's up in Bozeman, Montana, uh, killing the drywall game up there. Is there anything I missed, Lydia? Um, I don't think so. I mean, Brent and I are both uh, build show contributors, which is awesome. So we both do that. And yeah, just trying to help and educate and bring some uh, light to the trade. So I uh, got to know Lydia, um, as she said on the Build Show Network, if you guys aren't going there, you need to check that out. There's a bunch of contributors uh, speaking into a bunch of the different trades. Um, and so I thought Lydia would be great because she's done such a great job uh, with the social media. Her her videos are very engaging and very, you know, to watch her pull her knife across there and, and do all the things she's doing. It's it's fun to watch. So, yeah, it is. Uh, Lydia, we would love uh, for you just for our listeners, just to give a small uh, background on yourself, how you got into the drywall game, per se. Um yeah, and then we basically just want to talk about the state of craft uh, in drywall um, and just kind of get your take on uh, how craft is trending in America. But if you'd start with just a small background of how you got into drywall. Definitely. So I got into drywall with my dad. I went to um, college for a semester. Wasn't a great fit. Pretty much flunked out. And uh, I would never really liked school, so I don't know why I thought it was going to be a good choice. But anyway, I went to college for a semester, was kind of lost. I didn't know what to do with myself. And he was like, do you want a job? And I had kind of worked with them here and there when I was a kid and helped out like simple stuff. And um, yeah, I just did not expect to love it like I did. So I started working with him and he did not let me off easy. Um, he put me through the ringer, made sure I really wanted to do this. And it's just kind of started there. And it, 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 I'm now 20 years into finishing. <laughs> Brain dead. Um, so I was curious, uh, we did a whole st- uh, episode on uh, school versus the trades, college versus the trades, trying to balance that out. Um, you know, Eric Ani was on here. He's on the Build Show. He also went to college for a semester or two. He had actually claims to have been a good student in high school. Um, what uh, was it, you know, you were just partying and just having a good time and school wasn't it? Or, or were you called back to the trades because you wanted to work with your hands? What what happened there and, and what advice kind of, you know, input would you have to us as far as, you know, uh, whether going the school route versus the trade route and how that how that worked out? Definitely. So at the time, I definitely was partying too much. I like partied in high school. I went to school. I don't know why I thought I was not going to. I don't know what I, I was. Anyway, bad decision. And my, <laughs> it was pretty much just a waste of money and a lot of beer. Um, so my roommate at the time actually worked for my dad. So my dad had my cousin work for him. And then this particular person was my cousin's best friend. So he lived really close to campus and he had a brother move out. So he's like, come move in with me. 
So I was like, okay, sweet. It's close to campus. We'll just walk to school. No, he was 21, 22. I was 18. So I'm hanging out with, you know, 21-year-old guys all day, which, you know, <laughs> that that's just bad. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> they were all doing drywall. So I would go in and help them, and they all worked for my dad. So it kind of just fit naturally. It just kind of worked in there. So they would help me. I would go help them on jobs. We would work weekends. We would kind of work evenings and just, it just fit. And I think was something that was huge for me is I don't like like sitting at a desk. I don't like, like I like reading and I like education, but I have a really hard time sometimes following set things that people put out. I don't necessarily like always following the rules or I don't like, um, you know, sitting in a classroom and being told what to do. I'm more of a hands-on learner and I want to do things my own way. So I think that's really where you know, the trades and being hands-on really fit in because when you're at work, you guys know, you have to make decisions and you have to try different things and it keeps you on your toes and you have to be creative and every single day is different. And I think that's really what drew me to the trades is the flexibility, the, um, you know, the variety of work, the challenges, the physical challenges also, which are really nice. And then just the gratification of looking at what you did. I mean, it's awesome to come back and see, man, I did that. I figured that out. You know, it's, there's nothing like it. Yeah. I think you're touching on a lot of really cool ideas. Um, I I mean, it is kind of funny to hear uh, you say, you know, school was probably never the route for you. Um, And then just talking about being a creative problem solver on the job um, and doing that. It just kind of takes me back to that conversation that we had on the trades versus going the schooling route. And, uh, you know, it, it really seems that people who are more drawn towards the trade really do want that creative stimulus of, okay, I've got a new problem every day. How do I figure this out? How do I make things come together? Um, and, and then on top of that, uh, at least in, in the people who have become masters, which I think you would, uh, fall into that category, um, where, you know, you're, you're doing these new things day in and day out and, and maybe school isn't as stimulating. Um, but again, it's not that you dislike the educational piece of it. I have heard you say on your, uh, episodes on the build show network, um, that you're very passionate about education. And, um, that's kind of how drywall shorty came about was you just were interested in educating people. Like what mud should I use? How, what tool should I use here? Um, which I, I think is a really cool, uh, balance that gets struck, um, between most, trades people um in as a whole which is really interesting i think we kind of forget i mean education is so important if we don't have engineers we don't have architects we don't have these people that actually love school and doing those things we as construction can't work so we really do work together and one thing i hate is this idea of um you know you walk on site and say you're um, the architect or something, and then the tradespeople look down on the architect. They think the architect looks down on them, or kind of this like um, mutual disrespect for each other. But honestly, neither of us can work without the other one. So just a respect for, hey, like not everybody needs to go to school, but I commend you for going to school, sticking through it, educating yourself, and getting a degree. And then I commend you for knowing that that's not the right route. And thank you for building these beautiful things I'm designing. Like, I wish there was more cohesiveness in, you know, kind of education and trades and everybody working together. 
Totally. And that's definitely what we settled on as well, that there needs to be this mutual respect between the two um, and that each different route just depends on the type of person who needs to go into it. Um, well, one question uh, I think that we would love to hear is uh, you, you might be looking at a room full of cynics over here because um, we're, we're builders per se. And uh, I say per se because I, I don't know if I could classify myself as one yet, but apprentice builder at least. Um, but one thing that we've noticed is uh, the state of building is kind of in disarray and um, it's the materials that are used. It's the um, the way that things are quickly slapped together. People are assembling things or not building things. Um, now, I'm wondering, are you optimistic about the state that uh, drywall is? is in right now, or is it, is there a similar trend amongst drywall? Uh, I mean, obviously with, with us, we're looking at doors and windows that are made out of cardboard and um, sheet metal, thin aluminum foil. Uh, and so, you know, is there, is there kind of a comparable miss going on right now in drywall or is drywall in a really good spot uh, as a trade? That's a good question. Uh, drywall as a whole hasn't changed that much since it was introduced in like the 40s. Like gypsum and the way that there's been a lot of new muds that have come out and compounds that are more user friendly. Um, you know, that's a good question. I haven't really seen it change a lot. I would say it's gotten faster, which therefore you have to decrease quality. So I'd say we get pushed a lot more. Our people in general get pushed a lot more on the end from the builders because it seems like when we get in there, something's behind. The, the HVAC got pushed back. The electrical got pushed back. Something happened to make the job now be two weeks behind. And where are they going to make it up? They're going to make it up on the finishing end. So the minute you get in there, people are like, when are you going to be done? Are you done tomorrow? Are you going to be like, I need you to get I need you to get done. Are you working the weekend? Hey, guys, it's Christmas. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean you off and um it's kind of turned into this attitude of i really don't care it'll get covered no one will ever notice it let's just move on so i guess that would be a way that i see it going um you know we've worked on some really amazing houses um up in big sky but honestly that's probably some of the worst construction i've ever seen in my life because <laughs> it's, it's why was ever being on it I probably shouldn't have said this even to the guy, but he comes in and there's this big metal beam and it's about, I don't know, probably like three inch difference between where it starts and where it goes to the end. And we're in there finished sanding and, and getting ready. It's supposed to be painted like tomorrow. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's probably the owner of the company. And this is a, you know, $10 million house. And he walks in and he's like, oh, that's uneven and the drywaller will fix it. And I looked at him and I was like, no. <laughs> oh, we can't fix that. And I'm not him. No. And he was like, uh, oh, okay. And just walked away. And I was like, I could have handled that a little more tactfully. But it's kind of like. just like, no. <laughs> nope. No, I just like dead serious. I like that. I was like, no, I'm not fixing that. But um, stuff just kind of rolls downhill and it kind of all gets put on the finisher. But then we're pushed so much for time. We can't fix all of these things that aren't done correctly in the first place. So I guess that's kind of where I see it leading is it's just, you know, we have such a housing shortage and a housing crisis. Nobody really cares. It's just get it up, get it done and move on to the next one. So with that particular scenario you're discussing, was that like a framing issue that nobody caught until it was wrapped in drywall? 
Oh yeah, yeah. There was one that we did um, that had a basement pillar that was totally twisted and it was drywalled. We finished it and then the super came in and it was like, you guys did that wrong. And we're like, no, we, we know our job. We did not like put everything on there all topsy-turvy and they pulled it off and the whole beam was completely twisted. And it's just, there's a lot of steel up there, but then wood and they also frame in like negative 40 degrees. So there's a lot of things that happen up there that you're just like, Okay, well, we'll just. I'm sure the material that is moving around. Get remodeled in five years. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that's, but that's that's, that you're describing. I mean, working on a ten million dollar house where you have that kind of, uh, you know, just bad construction speaks to what our frustration about the state of craft, and, and speaks to you know that. I think one of the biggest tragedies in building right now is you know someone who spends three, four, five, you know, $10 million on a house. And it really is just kind of a big McMansion. It's, it's a production house, you know, with more square footage and more stuff in it. Um, that sounds like what you're describing. And it sounds like maybe it, it you know, obviously the, the schedule and probably cost, you know, fall downhill to you, but maybe just in the drywall trades, you're not seeing that much change. Because you're right. I mean, your, your trade hasn't changed that much since the 40s. Or yeah, I mean, there's years. automatic tools, which still, what always kind of surprises me is I've always worked with automatic tools. That's how I started. My dad's used them for forever. Um, but there's still a huge group of people that are still hand taping and doing everything by hand, which I find really interesting because we can't move the footage that we do without those tools. So those are production tools, but when you use them right, you get really fantastic finishes. So that I think is kind of um, a spot where the trade is at is, is hand finishers moving more towards using automatic tools because there's so much more available to see how the tools work, how the tools run. Um, you know, social media has helped a lot. I feel like we're finally starting to kind of bring a light to what drywall finishing is and you know, usually the finishers are kind of like looked down upon when they show up on the job or you're like, oh, the drywall guys are here. We're kind of like concrete guys, like kind of on the same level. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, the concrete guys are here. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> so it's kind of becoming, a, it's kind of having a renaissance right now, I feel like. So if, if you talk Wait, to hold us, on. I've got, I've got a little bit of a dumb apprentice question. What's the difference between an automatic tool versus hand tools? I've done drywalling one time and, uh, the paint's already cracking on it because the things have shifted so much and I did a terrible job. Um, and I don't want to throw Brent under the bus, but he did help with the job. So we're, we're, we are, we are drywall apprentices very clearly. Um, Sorry, I just grouped you. In yeah, there. no. Speak to speak to the tools. I mean, when you talk about automatic tools versus uh, you know hand tools, you know how much faster is it? First of all, to Jackson's question, what's the difference? And then you know you you talk about it helping speed. I mean, is that fifty percent, ten percent? You know, what, walk us through that. And then we'll hear your question. Um, yeah. So automatic tools, for the most part, do everything that you would do by hand, but they are automated. For you you have to run the tool but it speeds up the process of doing the process that you're doing if that makes sense so so is that like, like a roomba that, on um, the wall 
Well, no, the sanders do. So what we use, we use automatic tubes, which put, they're like a big cylinder tube, essentially, that holds mud, and then it feeds out the mud and the tape at the same time for you. And then you have to wipe it down afterwards. That is So crazy. instead of putting on the mud and then putting on the tape, it does both for you. And then there's boxes, which essentially are a box, and then they have blades, and then you set them to put the mud on flats and butts. So instead of coating by hand, you run the boxes and they coat your flats and butts for you. And then there's um, pumps, which fill up the tools, which you have to have. So if you are getting into automatic tools, you have to do pumps and have the things to fill the tools. And then there's power sanders, angle heads, which finish insides of angles. So pretty much it just takes away the hand finish. They're still hand finishing. Um, but it speeds up the process. Oh man, I'd say at least 50, 60, 70%. It's, wow. It makes it wow. very fast. I was going to say, are those people who are using the hand tools, are they like die hard? Like they want to stick to that because it's the original craft or are they just kind of not seen the benefit of what, what you guys are using? I think it's both. Um, I think East Coast for sure is way more hand tools people still are doing like traditional plasters especially mm. on the east coast um it's still very common to go there and you'll find people plastering and, and here on the west coast i'd say we're more production um it's kind of like get in get out use the tools and just get it done um so and then i've also heard that the unions there weren't allowing automatic tools in for a while and i think part of it too is people have seen bad jobs that people have done with automatic tools so they don't trust them but it's not the tool it's the person running the tool that's the problem so yeah. there needs to be a lot of training and education on the back end with those are you um in your area are you doing like textured finishes for final finish or level five or like what's going on in, in your region yeah so we do a lot of swirl is what it's called um it's actually kind of like an old plaster finish so we take a big round pull trowel and we spray on mud with the big, what are we using? A Titan Speed Flow. I think it's a 6900, so a big, big sprayer. So we thin the mud down, spray it on the walls, and then come and make like figure eights with the pull trowel, and it makes a swirl pattern. And people love it. It goes commercial, high-end, um, residential, everything. Pretty much everything is swirl. That's crazy. I never heard of that one. We do like orange peel, knockdown, and I only see like, the smooth like level five finish and like really high end but they just come in spray it yeah. and get out yeah yeah we do a lot of well yeah the level five and that stuff is always high end or mm -hmm. like really big commercial jobs on certain stuff but yeah swirl is really common here and um we do a lot of skip trowel do you do any venetian plasters or any of those things i've done a couple of plaster jobs um some went well, some didn't go well. I don't know that much about plaster. Uh, so it's one of those things I kind of stay away from just because there are so many things that can go wrong with it. Um, makes me really nervous and it's very expensive. So I kind of just stick to what I know. And uh, I, I could do like, you know, like a wall or a fireplace or something, but I tend to not really get into that end of it. So I have a question. Um, one, going back to what you're describing, about in in college that all your friends were doing drywall i've never heard anybody say that um is that is that family because or were you just hanging with the 
the drywall gang or what, what were you? <laughs> what like was, the boxcar kids, yeah, the drywall what, gang was nearby. What is, uh, tell me about that. And then, and then talk to me about, it sounds like your dad had a big crew and then you and it's you, it's you and just and your husband. Is that true? So, I mean, the, the size of crews have really changed. And one thing I was shocked about when I started, when I got to know you is that it's you and your husband doing what are you, like 50 or 70 houses a year? It's like crazy how much volume you do. And so anyway, if you could speak to some of that, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, we always just, my cousin worked for my dad and he started working for my dad in high school. So my cousin's name was Corey. And then there was Zach, who was his best friend. And then he started working for my dad also kind of in like the end of high school. And they both went to college. They left and uh, Corey went to try to play baseball, but then he came back and then started working for my dad again. And then Zach worked for my dad, but they were always around because my dad had all of his tools in the garage. So they would like come in and get tools. And then, um, yeah, we would kind of just hang out and then kind of just got pulled into it that way too, I guess, really. I don't, that's kind of an interesting question. Yeah. It was just my cousin and his best friend. And then I, I would hang out with the guys that worked for my dad. Cause at the time he had, seven employees i think mm, okay. at that time okay so that was back in like 2000 and when was that 2003 2004 so there's a subdivision just kind of down the road from me where we did a lot of houses we did like yeah. a house big houses too so we did a ton out there but um yeah just kind of surrounded myself i guess with construction guys and it worked and thankfully they all had passion for the trade and they taught me and they they were great guys to work with. They always treated me as an equal. So that was really encouraging. That is cool. And so uh, were, was your dad actually hanging rock or just finishing rock? Just finishing. So here is kind of unusual. Um, we do, we have hangers and then we have finishers. So for the most part, like if I'm, um, you know, if we're doing a job, we'll finish it and then we'll sub out the hanging and then vice versa. Like hangers will have finishers they work with. And then finishers will have hangers that they work with. Um, I don't know if every area is like that, but that's just kind of like a, a Montana thing or a Bozeman thing. I mean, are you doing as much volume as your dad was doing? Or is that, uh, is that a nature of the tools or, or is your business just a little bit different? I don't know how much he was doing. We used to do, he did big customs. So when I was with my dad, um, we had a couple builders that he only, that only used him and they did pretty big ones. Like this one neighborhood, we did a lot and they were all pretty involved, large houses. Um, so I don't know how much volume he was moving, but we were all using automatic tools then. And we use automatic tools now. Okay. And we did a big house, a couple, um, when was it? Maybe like two, well, maybe it's about a year ago, two years ago, and the guy said his normal taper is a hand taper, but the job was too big, so he couldn't have him do it because of the scale. It would have just taken him forever. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing, too, to think about with hand versus tools. You could be losing jobs if you're really slow or you can't take on these large jobs if you're hand taping the same way somebody that's running tools can. In your opinion, is there any any benefits of using the, the old school hand tools like those guys are doing? I think the problem that happens is people get used to a system and they're afraid to move out of that system because you learning mm -hmm. the hand or learning the automatic tools is hard. You're not just going to pick them up and be like running automatically. You've got to, right. you know, learn how to use them. It's going to take you 
probably about a year until you're really proficient with them to where you're not wow. having issues, oh, yeah. you're not having tape, not having, um, you know, constant issues. They break down. Uh, you do have to do maintenance. You have to keep them clean. So I think there's, if you, if you're not around them a lot, you're like, those are stupid. Why would I use those? They just cost a bunch of money and they can break. Um, mm-hmm. but when you are around them, you know that they're quick, they speed things up, they give you better quality sometimes, and you can move a lot of footage. And I think too, a lot of it, you know, some of these guys are second, third, fourth generation and they're, um, you know, they learned from their dad who was a traditional plaster and, and then their grandpa before that was traditional plastering and they did everything with Hawk and trowel. and kind of getting past that mindset is I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. If they want to finish that way, that that's great. I mean, there will right. always be difference in finishing, but um, I think sometimes it's just ingrained, like this is how we finish because this is how I was taught. So speak to us about uh, your, your skill level or how you're perceived. I mean, I would say, you know, um, you know, this show is set up with Apprentice Journeyman Master one, is there that kind of system in your deal? I know you have heard how you learned through your dad and we're, you know, doing cleanup first. And But how long does it take to become proficient? You know, you're doing it 20 years. Um, you know, you're a master after how long? Where do you feel like you are in kind of the proficiency of your trade? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you definitely, there's not like a worked system. If you're union, there's a system. And I didn't even know about drywall unions because we didn't have unions here. And that's something that I've learned about later with uh, social media and talking to people. So if you're in the union, there's definitely a step up program and you learn and then you kind of work your way up. Um, With my dad, it was more of, okay, let's have you try this. And he was kind of the type that would just throw you into something and kind of let you figure it out on your own. He would be there to offer guidance or be like, maybe you should try it this way. But a lot of his teaching methods were, um, this is how I do it. I want you to do it close to this way, but here, have at it. And then let's see how it works out. And then we'll kind of adjust from there. So it's kind of a funny trade because so much of it is hands-on. You have to touch it. You have to feel it. You have to mess around with it. You have to mess up. You have to sand your own work. And that really makes you appreciate things when you first start and you're like, oh my God, that was bad. Um, You can definitely kind of get into this like age where, you know, you're three, four years in the trade and you think you know everything. And I think that's kind of the dangerous spot. I don't know if it's the same building, but, you know, you get, um, you know, some confidence and you get experience, but you're, you're still not there yet. I mean, even at 20 years, there's still stuff I'm like huh, I haven't seen that before, or hmm, I should maybe try doing something a little different way. And I feel like you'll never be finished learning. Um, But Mm. yeah, with us being like self-employed in a small business, we don't really, I don't know, we just kind of have you start and then kind of work through it. Yeah, you're right about drywall. It's such, or at least the mud part of it, it's such an organic, like, like you said, like a feeling, you got to get your hands on it. The little bit that I've tried, like I think I floated out a joint or something at my house, like real nice, and then I turned the light on, there's like a big shadow. I'm like, oh, it, it looks easy. Like you guys on social media, y'all make it look easy, but yeah. there's an art to that, like feathering it out, like 
it's it's you crazy. do make it look very easy, Lydia. Well, yeah, yeah Lydia. The I was I worked for a ministry out in Colorado, and we were remodeling the house there, and so we're saving as much money as we can. So I call in Brent. I'm like, I I need some help on this remodel. So we frame it. It looks great. We get the drywall out. We cut it. We're like, we can cut drywall. Great. Um, and then as soon as the mud and tape come into play, <laughs> wow, we messed that up bad. Like literally, it was. <laughs> I remember <laughs> there were like four joints we needed to do. So not even that many square feet of drywall. But we're like, we've got them set. We've got them nailed in, and we're like putting the mud in place. And then we put the tape on top of the mud. And then we put mud on top of the tape. And my dad was like. And we've done this for like all four joints. And he's like, you know what? There's a chance that we're not supposed to put mud first. <laughs> tape first. <laughs> we both had this moment where I was like, well, I don't know what we need to do. And he was like, dude, th- out of everything, drywall is so hard. And it is such a, it is such a touch thing. Because then you call in these drywall people and they come in yeah. and they're like, bah, bah, bah. and then a wall's finished. And you're like. A That's flat a wall. Yeah, a flat wall is finished. And then not to mention now we filled in a doorway. And uh, it's really funny because people are like, y'all remodeled in here? And we're like, yeah, we did. If you look at the cracked paint over there, you can see the outline of a doorway <laughs> where it shifted. So um, I have royally butchered some great drywall walls. It really is. It's such a, it's such a finessed touch uh, trade. It's really cool. One thing we were talking about is that 10,000 hours, you know, how long it takes to become proficient. Uh, 10,000 hours, if you're working a 40 hour week, which we probably all are working more than that, is, is five years. So do you think that in your trade, you become a master in five years or, you know, 10 years, or, you know, you're saying 20 and there's still things to learn. And I would agree, and yeah, I would agree I with that. Is that math right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know if you can ever call yourself a master per se with drywall because it is so, uh, it's kind of like arty and um, everything is just so different. Like you really never know what you're going to walk into. Um, So yeah and no. I mean, there's old guys that I've worked with that are all, um, you know, hop and trowel or they've, like they are kind of more traditional, but I don't know. I wouldn't even know if they would say that they were masters. I mean, even with 40 years mm. in the trade, you still learn. Like my dad's still learning new stuff. Like we talk all the time about like, oh man, did you see this? Or, hmm, what do you what do you think I should do about this? Or it's so fun because we each have our separate companies and he's still working, but we'll still like have conversations and kind of work through like, huh, I don't know, what are you going to do here? Or what's going on with this? Or it's really fun because we can troubleshoot together. And I think that's something like that's really important for crafts and trades in general is just having that person that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it be somebody that's considered a master or maybe somebody that just has, you know, a couple years experience, but their view might be completely different than, you know, what the traditional view is. Um, So, yeah, it's just um, that was a very roundabout way to answer your question. But (laughs) um yeah, I don't know if you could ever, ever really be. Well, I appreciate your humility. I appreciate your humility there. The uh, it's fun to watch you do this. I think it's great that your dad's still doing it, and that you have that generational, you know, bouncing board that you can, you know, have someone to talk to. I'm curious uh, what your perception of 
you know, being a woman in a traditional, you know, man's field and how you, you know, whether there's obstacles for you or whether there's, uh, you know, after doing it for so long, your dad doing it, maybe they're, you know, everybody just knows you and it's not a problem or you still face challenges being a woman in a man, man's world? Um, I've always had, I've always taken it as I'm here to do a job. Someone's hired me to do a job. I'm going to show up and I'm going to do my job that you therefore are paying me for. Um, so I really try and just keep, you know, I work with my husband most of the time. So that's really nice. Um, sometimes people will, well, the most common is, oh, you brought your helper to work today is what they say to my husband. <laughs> they God. say that? Very kind of up. That's yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. oh, if you brought your helper today and he'll be like, she's not my helper. Like, oh, she's then, actually the boss. <laughs> one thing that I found, I know, right? I'm like, just, just give me a day and so we'll have a conversation again. Um, <laughs> but one thing that I found that helps is coming on the job and asking questions, especially when you're at the drywall stage, you know, you kind of need to know what's going on, what's, what the finishes are, what's, you know, what's going here, what's going there. So just asking questions I found helps a lot when it comes to being treated as a professional. If I'm like, hey, what do you guys have going here? What's going to go here? Or, um, you know, hey, this is a little funky or out of square or your window's leaking or you know, we just try to be very courteous tradespeople and let, um, you know, let the contractor know if there's problems that arise, if there's something that we see that's weird or we see issues. Sometimes there's roof leaks um, and we'll let them know like, hey, you guys have a leak here or this is funky or, um, you know, we just try and just do a good job for everybody. And I think that's probably the best thing you can do being a woman on the job is show up, get your work done do your best, take yourself seriously and do your job. Love and it that. doesn't have to get any more complicated than that. Tell us about your business. You 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 are it's you and your husband. You guys do mm -hmm. 50 to 70 houses a year, I think you said. Um, is that yeah, true? So we and do then, about so you the, the average a week. the average job size kind of that kind of thing how you uh, and then even how you find work too. Yeah, so the houses that we do, we do, usually it's more like production, so they're pretty quick. We get into some customs here and there. Um, we don't really, we haven't been up to Big Sky in a couple of years. It's just too hard with having a family and trying to figure all that out because it's about an hour and a half drive up and an hour and a half drive back, and it's just miserable in the winter. So we just try and stay out of there and just stay in the valley here. So. Typical house is probably about 165 sheets to 200 sheets, give or take. And we try to get a coat on a day. So we'll tape, top, skim, and then texture. So if we're moving good, we can get in and out in about four to five days, depending on the job and how detailed it is. Um, and then for the most part, we work with other drywallers. So they'll sub out work to us sometimes. Sometimes we do our own. But subbing works really well because, um, you know, we can kind of just pick and choose what we want to do. We'll kind of get on some big customs occasionally that nobody else wants to take on. Um, smooth walls, because there's, smooth isn't super pop, super common here. So I feel like some people don't know what to do when they run into it. So that's kind of, you know, we're really good at smooth. So we'll kind of come in and do those smooth walls too for people. and freeze us up a little bit if we need to do something with our kids or travel or have other commitments. Mm -hmm. So works out really well for us. So are you, um, 
those houses, I don't know how many sheets in a house. So that's kind of a weird uh, way of thinking. Are these 2,000 square foot houses, 3,000 square foot houses kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, your board footage is, I mean, I'm sure as you know, it's walls and ceilings. Um, so yeah, like a hundred, right. let's see, hundred and the, so you have 170, 48s. That would be 8,160 feet of drywall board. So they're about around there, wow. about 8,000 feet of board. So, but how many square foot is that house? Is that a 1,500 square foot house? Yeah, 1,200 like square? A, a, everything's about 18 to 2,500 that we do right in that. And that price point in Bozeman is a half million dollar house? Yeah, over half a million. Okay. That's interesting. Um, you're, you're, I'm, I'm interested that you're working in that production world because typically that world tends to be, you know, wham, bam, go, get out, you know, which you described earlier. But I, I guess I had assumed watching you do your work that you're do more custom stuff. It's just a mis misconception, I guess. It's a little bit of both. We definitely do some custom stuff. It just depends on what's going on. And if sometimes there's jobs that are just too big, like we wouldn't take on an, an 800 board house. I mean, an 800 board house would be huge. I mean, that'd be like a five, 6,000 square foot house. Like we just, it'd be too slow. Like we just can't do that with just two of us. We'd have to team up with somebody else, take some floors. That makes but sense. Um, some, some of the houses are custom. We just did one um, two weeks ago that was for a builder and it's his personal house. So that one was all custom, um, but we don't treat like the, the production stuff any differently than we do a custom. We still try and do the best that we can. Um, we just, I think when you take pride in your work, you don't leave things that you know you can make better. And that's how we treat every job. Like we walk in and like, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll not get paid for this extra 20 minutes on something, but can't not do it knowing that it's wrong i can't walk away from it and leave it even though i might not be getting paid that price i'm still not going to give somebody a bad product hmm. and that's just kind of how we work yeah that's it's so funny uh lydia we've been <clears throat> interviewing over the past day and today we're interviewing all the different masters uh you you've said just so many things that everyone else has been saying the same where you know, I can't not do a good job. Uh, just, just so many sentiments that we've all heard. Um, there's always more to learn. Um, and I'm trying to think there's a third one that you've said where I'm just like, man, these seem to be telltale signs. Of the semester really, in college. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> semester in college. That was the other. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's very, uh, it's very encouraging to hear you say something like that where, uh, I think it just shows the state of the, the craftswoman you are where you, you can't not finish a job where I, right or, or do a good job because, you, you know, you take pride in your work like you're explaining. Um, and that's encouraging for the state of craft in America. Um, you know, the, the steel beam guy with the, the warp, the three inch difference, that guy's dis <laughs> that guy discourages me uh, about the state of craft. But um, no, it's very, very fun to hear some of those uh, similar comments. Yeah, I think when you care about it, you don't want to leave it, you know, for the next person totally. or you don't want to do a bad job. And I think that um, 
we're really lucky because there's a lot of people that are being vocal and are putting themselves out there that really do care about the trades and the state of craft moving forward. I mean, we're going to be short a lot of people in the next what couple years. There's a ton of people that are going to be retiring and moving out of the trades and the, the, those of us that have been that are still, you know, younger but had the trade experience, we really have to encourage these younger people and people just starting, you know, to be good craftspeople, good tradespeople, and that it's a great job and encourage others to get into the trade too. So what would you say to someone who's maybe trying to jump in and become a drywaller like yourself, trying to follow in your footsteps? Uh, what would you say to them, how to get started, things that they need to be looking out for, things that they maybe need to be doing? Um... Getting started can be a little tricky sometimes. I was lucky because I had my dad that got me started. Um, most of the time, you're just going to wind up starting on a crew. Nobody's going to like give you a handout. you got to work your way up. So be prepared to scrape floors, sweep, do the grunt work, carry the mud boxes in, and just kind of be that person that probably is going to be like, eh, go, go get this or go do that. Or, you know, you kind of, you got to like earn your keep kind of for those first couple of months. They really want to see what you're made of, see that you're committed to the job and see that, um, you know, you're not just going to work for a couple of weeks, take your paycheck and then quit. Cause we've had employees over the years. You can usually tell within the first three months if they're going to stay or not. Wow. Um, that's usually kind of like the lip test. Yeah. You usually like Within three months, they either like it or they quit. So, um, but it's going to take time, especially with drywall. It's not one of those things you can just show up on the job, pick something up and be a master at it instantly. So you really have to be patient with it. You have to take those little wins when you have them and you have to be a sponge because it's such a funny craft because everybody does it a little bit differently, but even though everybody does it differently, they're going to tell you that you did it wrong because you didn't do it their way but yeah yeah every way's right as long as you get a good finish and you have a good product you didn't do it wrong so you know try different things experiment a little bit um you know try just kind of you know be easy on yourself and don't give up and physically it's hard so you're going to be really tired for a while so be prepared for that too so um Maybe trying starting to wrap this up. Tell us about your the social media piece and and how that contributes to your business. A whether it leads to work or whether it's more just an educational piece of what you're doing and you know how much time does it take and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it definitely leads to work, but the hard part is is we're booked. Like we're right now, like we're just pretty much steady for eternity. I mean, I can't even tell you when we're gonna have. I don't know. It is what it is. We just have work all the time. So, um, you know, if I wanted to, I could stop doing that. And then I could like travel around. I have people like begging me to come teach them to come out and like, will you come do my job? If I fly you out, will you come do it? And it, those are things that start, unfortunately, they're not feasible. Um, but social media has been huge. It's taken its own like the, we, that now is now a business of itself. So essentially we're running two businesses because we have the drywall shorty stuff and then we have the contractor end. Um, but I think it's been amazing because I have had so many emails, messages about how it's helped people. They're like, I didn't think I could do this. And I watched yours and I like look at my basement and they send me pictures or 
they're like, oh, I was able to do this because of this, or even reaching, um, you know, people that have been in the trades for a long time. And they're like, oh, why didn't I think about doing that? Like that's, you know, light bulb moment or starting conversations with people about different ways to finish and just kind of being, trying to be um, kind of a drywall community where, you know, I'll show something, but let's have a conversation about it. Cause I'm, I know that's how I do it. How do you do it? And I think it's been really cool to see the response was definitely not what I was expecting at all when I started this. And um, it's just reaching such a huge amount of people and then bringing awareness to being a woman in the trade and just kind of the craft in general. Mm-hmm. Doing a great job on that too. You're just killing it. It's a lot of work. I don't think people understand. They just see like, oh, this, this, this. And it's like, it's constantly on your phone trying to keep up with messages, answer questions, be a um, contributor to to the community, and then also try and balance life, work, everything. So it's definitely, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I am impressed by all of you guys at how uh, active y'all are in answering people uh, and following up with them with the sheer number of followers that y'all have. It's uh, very impressive. So uh, it's exciting. Um, hey, Lydia, one kind of final fun question for you. Um, it's if you are stranded on a desert island and you can only bring three tools with you, uh, and your job on this island is to completely drywall out a house. Um, I know it's a very realistic scenario, but uh, you know if that's your task at hand, uh, what are the what are the tools that you would recommend to bring? And I don't know. It's kind of a fun question because it makes you think. You know, yeah. what are necessary or what are favorites or you know, kind of plays those those lines. So I would bring my pan. I would bring an eight inch knife and I would bring my stilts. Yeah, that's what I do. Wow. So so you would you would be hand doing it then? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean you can do if I had to only pick like yeah, if I had to come out there and do that, I would only bring those because you can't do any you can bring the tools, but you would have nothing to wipe them down with if you didn't have a knife and a pan. Wait, so. we didn't get to talk about stilts because stilts are probably the coolest thing on the job site that drywall people get to use that what one, what's the tallest stilt you've been on and then how long does it take to get good on stilts? Um, tallest ones are as tall as they well, how tall are they? They're four and a half feet maybe they're about as tall as me when they're all the way up so they're like <laughs> like maybe like here like eye level maybe so they're pretty they're pretty big eye level that is um, so tall I, yeah well I'm you get used scared. to it they're really not hard um the biggest thing i think stilts. people do is they drag their feet well you start when you start you start off with them really low and you start off at, at eight foot and you make it so you can touch the ceiling and you can touch the walls so you kind of just look like an idiot just walking around the <laughs> perimeter of the room, feeling, making sure you don't fall. But yeah. then, yeah, exactly. You kind of like get your stride down and get your gait down. And then after that, it's just completely natural. Um, you just kind of get on them and you know. You could get decent at walking on stilts in a day. Is that is that true? You can walk on them in a day. Um, you might not know what to do if you get into a tricky situation on them because and you're going to – we. After being on them for so long, you're more than likely going to fall. Like, 
I've had a couple falls over the years, nothing major. Um, we do know a guy that had a bad fall that fell into a tub and actually broke his elbow and then oh, broke shit. his neck and stuff. Um, so there's always kind of those horror stories. You just you got to be careful. I think that's the biggest thing is like don't just jump on them in the middle of some super busy job site where there's stuff all over the floor. Like be smart about it. Um, take your time when you learn. But I don't know why painters don't use them more. Interesting. Because um, they're really not that hard. Yeah. I'm going to get a pair for, for when we're doing like crown and stuff. Oh. I've thought about it, but I've yes. never nail gun up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can adjust them a ton. So you can adjust how far forward, how far backwards you lean, how much spring is kind of in the stilt. Um, there's a lot of new companies that have come out with um, some really cool ones that are a lot easier to walk in. They have like front springs in the toe. Um, yeah. They're definitely, they speed up ceiling work a lot. That is really cool. That is really, really cool. Well, uh, Lydia, we want to shout you out. We want to make sure that everyone knows where to find you. So uh, where's the best place for people to follow you and uh, get more great drywall content? Yeah, so Instagram is where I started. It's still probably like my most active, especially with answering DMs and getting back to people. Um, I'm also on Facebook and then YouTube and TikTok. So all the big ones. Um, so I'm definitely more active, I would say, on Instagram and Facebook. Or, and it's, and then dry, YouTube, it's Drywall Shorty, right? At, at those things. Yeah. yeah. At Drywall Shorty. So go check her out. Yeah. Uh, Lydia, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on here. Been awesome. Um, thanks so much for jumping on and, and telling us about the, the world of drywall. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful to talk to you guys. Okay. Take care.